you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 5, and we'll uh, look at a, a wonderful story. I entitled this morning's uh, talk, <clears throat> Thank God for Friends. And, you know, I want to be biblical, and I, I truly believe that this is the essence of this narrative in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I want you to think of the people who have influenced you for Christ, maybe led you to Christ, influenced you for, a gospel, for the gospel, maybe have just planted a seed, watered that seed. However, life is filled with influencers, both good and bad. And I thank God for friends 44 years ago. Uh, at age 19, I was deeply immersed in the drug culture, uh, very broken young adults. Uh, mom divorced twice, remarried in junior high, a policeman. And I thought, oh, maybe something will change. Well, it went from bad to worse. And uh, more chaos, violence, drugs, alcohol than you can imagine. He had nine children. We had three, a blended family of many. Two of his sons, as a law enforcement man, were busted for narcotics, locked up in the city of Buffalo. Concurrently, I was dealing drugs from his home, and we had a rift. He kicked me out of the house when I was a teenager. So early on, I was pretty much on my own trying to figure some things out. At age 19, wine, women, and song didn't. Uh, sin is pleasurable, but for a season, right? I hit the wall. I knew there had to be more. And right around that time, some of the guys I ran with, sold drugs to, uh, came to faith in Christ. I didn't know about that. And they surprised me with a, uh, <clears throat> a reunion. So I got a call from Ellen's brother, older than Ellen, said, hey, we're getting together for a rap session. You want to join us? Sure, let's, you know, the gang will get together. Well, that afternoon I sat with five other men who shared their testimonies. And their lives were changed. I saw it. I saw Jesus in them. It was unmistakable. Fast forward about a year of their investment in me, sharing Christ, going skiing together, finding those common denominators, foosball tournaments, hanging out, doing things that were just fun and enjoyable. They invited me uh, finally to a church very much like this. If you walked into Milgrove Bible Church in western New York, it's like a mirror image. Pews, platform, pulpit, up, I mean, it's just amazing. Felt like we were walking into our home church. Well, that night I saw a movie, and it was uh, about life after death. I always feared what would happen to me when I died. My biological father died with cirrhosis of the liver. He was an alcoholic. Died in his early 40s. I feared death. That night that movie got my attention. The pastor preached the gospel, said anybody would like to repent of their sins, put their faith in Christ. I didn't know what I was doing, folks. I sat somewhere around there. I stood up, and I literally ran forward. I felt like Pilgrim's Progress, if you're familiar with John Bunyan's book, the backpack, the weight of sin was lifted. I knew for certain that I was a born-again Christian, and it was a beautiful day. Uh, interestingly, that same evening, my wife had a very, well, a friend had a very similar experience. She went home, knelt by her bedside, repented of her sins, put her faith in Christ, came to the Lord. A few months later, we were both baptized the same night. I'm seven years older than my wife, so 
things worked out. Uh, we just became best friends, did a lot of ministry together. So here I stand before you with my dear wife, uh, in part, we know God is sovereign in salvation. We know no one comes unless he draws. We get that. But friends deeply influenced me for the gospel. They planted seeds, watered seeds, lived the gospel. And in part, I'm a, a, a byproduct of that. So thank God for friends. That's our passage. Would you stand with me uh, as we read, um, as I read this passage aloud? Luke 5. 17 through 26. <clears throat> if you're familiar at all with the Gospel of Luke, you know Luke <clears throat> values the individual. He values those who are marginalized. He values women who are, who are devalued in the culture. He values tax collectors and sinners. Why? Because God does, because Jesus does. And so if you read the Gospel of Luke, just, just a plain reading at face value, you don't have to study it, you will see some patterns. And one of the patterns is absolute in the Gospel of Luke, that one person really matters to God. I want to drive that point home this morning. When I look back 44 years ago, my friends valued me because God, through Christ, valued me, right? If you know Luke 15, it's one parable with three narratives, right? Three pictures. A woman loses jewelry or a coin. What happens? She relentlessly searches. When she finds the coin or jewelry, friends come over. They celebrate. There's great joy. It was a very valuable piece. Uh, same parable. A shepherd leaves 99 sheep in the fold to pursue what? One lost sheep. That lost sheep really matters to God. And then the capstone of Luke 15, you want to talk about value. A dishonorable son in a culture of honor and shame, did the most, the worst thing possible. He disowned dad, took his inheritance prematurely, lived a riotous lifestyle, and what does dad do? I get the picture in Luke 15 that every day he's looking out to the countryside, thinking, praying, dreaming of his son coming home. And then he sees his son off in a distance. What does he do? He rolls up his tunic and he runs. He embraces, he kisses. He extends grace beyond measure. That's why we call it amazing grace. He gives the ring, which is the checkbook, the credit card. He gives shoes, which means you're a son, not a slave. You're not coming home as a servant. You're not paying back. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. My son who was once lost is what? Now found. Who was once dead is now alive. Luke is all about the individual, and that, at least in part, is what we have in this story now. Thank God for friends. God values the individual. We should too. Let's take a look at God's word. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a man, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him, since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the roof, lowered him on the mat, threw the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. How would you like it if that was your home? See, in their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven you. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to think, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin? But God alone, of course, the Son of God forgiving sins. 
But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? And then notice, but so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. And boy, is this closed beautifully. Look at this. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home doing what? Glorifying God, worshiping God. Then everyone, everyone, folks, was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. Please be seen. What I love about that story is just, it's just, it just happened. It was real to life, and Luke just tells it as a matter of fact. But the content of the story is quite remarkable. These friends valued their buddy who was lame. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is the virtue of these friends. The virtue of valuing one lost person. The virtue of caring for someone so deeply that you'll do very radical things to see them encounter the Savior. And so I want to share with you, if you take notes, four virtues of these friends. These are virtues that I want to practice on a daily basis, that we all can practice on a daily basis. This really is who Jesus was. You'll see that. This is emulating the Savior. This is what my buddies did to me over the course of that year. And then when I came to faith in Christ beyond because there was Bible study, there was ministry, and we're still connected today, 44 years later. So, virtue number one, and yes, this is going to be pretty simple. I like simple. Friends care. And as simple as that concept is, it is absolutely profound. Because think about the people who have cared for you over the years. Think about the influencers in your life. And when people care, when people influence, gosh, it matters. We were reminiscing, Rick and I, uh, a little bit last night. There's two families in Cincinnati who basically adopted the Bells and Missiles. It's the Longs and Metzgers. They're in their 80s, and it's like we're their kids. And we joke around about how they treat us, but, boy, they've influenced us. They've cared for us. When we come to Cincinnati, Jeff says, here's the keys. The house is yours. We're in Florida. It's all yours. You need a car? Go. I mean, it's just that and so much more. But it's foundationally the love of Christ, the compassion of the Savior being emulated. So where do I get this idea of friends care? Look at verse 18. Just then some men came, carrying on a mat, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. In the ancient world and today, because I do a lot of work in Africa, even in the Middle East, to be paralyzed is a death sentence in that culture. It's an agrarian culture in the first century. In Africa, we work among agrarians. If you're paralyzed, two things, and so much more, but two at least. One, you can't work or provide for your family. Right there in that culture, I mean, that's what a man does. Uh, a man provides, right? 
Even the scriptures talk about if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. There's something about that role. But then in a culture of honor and shame, think about this man's dignity, his self-worth. He literally can't work. In one of our villages in Mali, which was 99% Muslim, a very difficult uh, mission field, a gentleman named Esau who lost both his legs, one in a shaynut pit and one he got gangrene and they had to amputate, couldn't work. I saw it live. He was relegated to begging in the city on a street corner. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? So here's these friends knowing the brokenness of this soul, this person who's made in the image and likeness of God. He can't work. He's paralyzed. What do they do? They care for him. One of the beautiful things about the gospel is we see the heart of God through Jesus Christ constantly. There is a phrase in the four gospels that is stated 12 times, and the phrase is only used of our Savior and our Heavenly Father. You know what that phrase is? Filled with compassion. Let me read to you a passage, and this is a summary passage from the Gospel of Matthew that will give you uh, just a, a picture of the heart of our Savior, which these men are emulating. Matthew 9, 35 through 38 states, Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, here's the kicker, he felt compassion for them. And then the reason is given, notice, because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, the workers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Jesus looks out as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and what does he see? He sees people who are worn out, people who are harassed, people who are living like a sheep without a shepherd. I'm a city boy. I don't pretend to know a whole lot about sheep and shepherds, but I've done my homework. Guess what? A sheep cannot survive without a shepherd, period. There is no chance in this world. The sheep is absolutely 100% dependent upon a shepherd. And so that's the world in which you and I live. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to the ball field with your kids, when you're at whatever, scouts, people everywhere are being harassed, they're helpless, and they're living without the good shepherd. So what's our privilege, dear friends? To build bridges of care, to show them the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 25 gives a real simple picture of that. When did we treat you like this, Jesus, the disciples say? Well, when you gave a cup of cold water in my name, when you visited me in prison... When you did the simplest and kindest things, you did it in my name. You reflected me. That's what my buddies did to me. I didn't know what was going on, folks. But when John would call and say, hey, we're going skiing. Do you want to ski? Of course. I love to ski. Let's go. And we skied, but they were sharing Jesus. Hey, there's a foosball tournament this weekend. You want to play? Of course I want to play. I love foosball. But what were they doing? They were connecting the dots of common denominators to share the love of Christ. Now, friends, it's just in our normal sphere of influence. This isn't hard 
but I think it's intentional. Now, let me ask you a question because this is one of my tensions. <sighs> There's so many needs, would you agree? And it's kind of like, where do you begin? And sometimes you just get so overwhelmed, you're like, I just got to step back and just take a break. What I would say is this. Yes, there are so many needs. Start with one. Just one lost sheep. Just one neighbor. Just one coworker. Start praying. Buy a coffee. Take them out to lunch. Mow a lawn. I remember when we moved from Minnesota, Minnesota to Iowa, and there was a year transition there, and, man, we would come back in the, uh, you know, big weekend of snow, and there's Charlie, our neighbor, shoveling our driveway. Oh, my goodness, did Charlie make an impression on me. But he was a believer. You know what's neat? In a very young neighborhood, everybody knew Charlie. You know why? He gave a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord. He cared. He testified first through deed and then through word. What a, what a good way to go. I think that's what is going on here. These guys cared. That's what Jesus is saying. Broken people, needy people, harassed and helpless people. Let's reach out. I'm so glad to hear that you still have prayer meeting, Rick. It's one of those things that uh, I remember uh, first five years before we went to Bible school, Wednesday night, Millgrove Bible Church, we came and we prayed. Saturday morning we came and we prayed. Praying for what? People who need Jesus, right? I think we can pray for sick and you know issues and culture and so forth, but foundationally, let's pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, is it Wednesday you're praying? Thursday. Can I encourage you right now? This would be an application point. Could you ask God to just give you a couple people to pray for intentionally? Because I believe with all my heart, once you begin praying for them, you know what's going to happen? You're going to look for divine appointments. You're going to look for ways to care. You're going to take the initiative to care because you're praying, and you're going to see God open some doors. I just really believe that. Secondly, virtue number two, friends persevere. And I like this point because it's not easy today to build bridges for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a different day, folks, even in pastoral ministry. I don't want to tell people I'm a pastor. You're on the airplane, you know. So what do you do? Oh, I teach. Oh, okay. What do you teach? Oh, I, I teach, you know, uh, international stuff. I travel a lot. I don't want them to know. You know why? Because immediately I get blackballed by some. Oh, no, pastor. Hey, uh, stewardess, can I get a different seat? I don't know why that is. It didn't used to be. But somehow today we've been kind of marginalized as the church, and we got our head in the sand, and we're bigots. We're not. We have the truth. We have living water. We, we can care. We can nurture. But it's a different day. So there's this persevering today to get over some of those hurdles of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me show this to you. Look at verse 19. Since they could not find a way to bring him, their friend, in because of the crowd. And again, this is a small, uh, they lived kind of in villages in Israel, small compound. Jesus was very popular. You saw already that people were coming from Jerusalem, Judea, Pharisees, scribes were there. A lot of people. This is the popular time in his ministry. So they just couldn't get in. So what did they do? They got creative. 
They went up on the roof, lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Now you might say, man, how does that work? Don't think gabled roof shingles. Don't think tin roofs, okay? Uh, we do uh, trips to Israel. I studied in Israel in 1987, finished off undergrad. You literally can go to places in Israel where this kind of home still exists. People live in it. You can walk up the staircase on the side of the home. The rooftop was used for living, for gardening, for uh, relaxing, sun setting, sun coming up, devotion time. The Old Testament law said make sure you put a parapet around the roof. It's like a little railing so you don't fall over, right? Uh, in 1987, when, uh, when I lived there, one of our profs, dear friend now, we would go to this home in Jerusalem in the Jewish quarter, built in 700 AD. We would often go up on the roof and look over to the old city and to the new city. So this is real. So just imagine, okay, can't get in you know, the normal way. They go up the staircase, they're on top of the roof, and now you're picking apart the roof. It's sticks, it's mud, it's tile, it's, and you're in that room, and guess what? It's getting nasty. Dust, sticks, dirt, yuck. It's like, are you kidding me? What are you guys doing? If I was in the room, right, if I was the early guy and got good seats, front row seats to be with Jesus, I'd be a little bit frustrated. To be honest with you, I'm just trying to recreate this thing. But all of a sudden, they open up the section, they load them down. What's the first word Jesus says? Your sins are forgiven. Oh, my goodness. He went right to the heart of the issue. So let's talk a little bit about persevering. I think today, as I already alluded to, there's numerous barriers for you and I to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we have to do is be intentional, we have to be deliberate, and we have to think long-term, not short-term. Okay? So what are some of our barriers? Uh, the barrier there was the crowd. The, the barrier there was... You know, it was just impossible to get an audience with Jesus. So they busted through the roof. I think our barriers, number one, are fear. Um, do you, like me, ever deal with fear of rejection? So if I share Christ with my neighbor, will it inhibit the relationship in the future? Will they kind of ghost me, you know? And all of a sudden, we were starting to have a relationship, and now it's kind of, we fear that. And it's a legitimate fear, but can I encourage you with a verse from Acts, Acts 4.29? The apostles got that because they had a lot of persecution when they preached Christ. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness. So I think, yes, there's fear, fear of rejection, but Lord, give us boldness to overcome what man might think because you never know, like Acts 16, you never know when there's going to be a Lydia and God's going to open her heart. Paul goes down to the river. God opens Lydia's heart. She gets saved. Her and her family get baptized. And the church meets in Philippi in her home. You never know when God's going to open a person's heart. So be bold enough, sensitive, but bold to overcome the fear. I think the second barrier is this, not knowing what to say. Again, pastoring 38 years, folks, so I've been with a lot of people for many years. I think personally I've seen this. I'm just not comfortable. I don't know how to answer objections. 
And when people have this question about evolution or this question about doesn't the Bible contradict, what do I say? You know what that suggests? It suggests one thing. You and I need to be trained. And that's your challenge, dear friend. So Ellen and I can testify to this. As soon as we came to faith in Christ, we had a senior pastor. He was in his early 60s. It was his final chapter of ministry. He offered this course called Evangelism Explosion. Now, again, I'm a brand-new Christian. I never heard about evangelism anything. And they were offering it. You know, it's a 12-week course. Come learn how to share Jesus. I took that course. And that was over 40 years ago. That set the trajectory of learning how to share the good news of Jesus Christ just a very natural way. And I can still remember the outline, Grace Man, God, Christ, Faith. Five points, a lot of illustrations, a lot of scriptures, and you share Jesus. So I would encourage you, if you struggle with what to say, there's some great tools, and I want to recommend one that I think is really an excellent tool today. Uh, it's a small book. We trained our church uh, prior to transitioning, uh, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. That's the title of the book, and it uses three circles. God has a design. That design is broken through sin. Christ restores us uh, through his work at Calvary, and then we can live God's design. Three points, and boy, it's very, very effective. So I want to encourage you. Uh, if you're struggling with fear, pray for boldness. If you're struggling to articulate, get trained. There's great resources, and let's see the kingdom come. My mom's 88. And so we moved from the city of Buffalo to the trailer court. As I said, my father kicked me out of the house when I was a teenager. So we had some rough waters. When I came to faith in Christ and was baptized, my mom was at that worship service. She came forward and gave her life to Christ. Her life was transformed. For 50 years, mom has lived in the same mobile home courts and has been a Christ presence there. And so she has right across from her Jim and Lori. A couple, very broken. Jim has health issues, cohabiting, didn't know Jesus. For two years, dear friends, mom would take the bread and pastries and stuff that the church had on Sunday morning uh, to distribute to friends and family. I don't know where they got it from, some bakery partnered with the church. Every Sunday, stop by Jim, Lori, and others and say, hey, got this for you. Hey, got that. Oh, thanks, Marilyn. Thanks, Marilyn. Next thing you know... Um, they started opening it up to Jesus. Next thing you know, there were some gospel conversations. Next thing you know, the new pastor, Bill, is sharing Jesus with Jim and Lori. They repented their sins, put their faith in Christ. Next thing you know, they're getting married at Millgrove Bible Church because a senior lady who's 88 years old just said, I'm just going to give some bread week after week, say I love you, and see what God does. I think that's just how it works today. It's more natural than, than we realize, okay? So virtue number one, friends, care. Virtue number two, friends, persevere. Two more, and I'll let you go. Virtue number three, friends, believe. And this is right from the text. Check, check this out. Look at verse 20. Seeing their faith, meaning the friend's faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. 
So Jesus is looking up to this roof. There's these guys busting a hole in the roof, lowering their friends down. The Bible says Jesus, seeing the friend's faith, declares to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. What is it about faith that gets God's attention? I've thought about that my whole Christian journey. But I know one thing, Luke is relentless to highlight faith. Let me give you a few examples of that. One, a centurion who loved God's people supported the building of a synagogue in Capernaum. And his servant is sick. And they reach out to Jesus. Hey, help this guy. He's been faithful to to the Jews. He did this in the synagogue. And Jesus and the centurion have this encounter. He just says, hey, just say the word and my servant will be healed. You know what Jesus said? Well, he healed, he healed the servant girl. But he says about this centurion, I've not found such faith in all of Israel. That's a non-Jew. That's a Roman centurion. Maybe he was a God-fearer. That, that's a possibility. But Jesus highlighted, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel, in all of God's people who know the Old Testament scriptures. How did this pagan Roman centurion get it? And then later, Luke 18, and I could give you a dozen illustrations in Luke, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. There's this blind man, his name is Bartimaeus. And he's crying out, help, save, save. And you know what Jesus says? These are his words. Your faith has saved you. God works that kind of faith, I'm, I'm convinced. But there's something beautiful about faith. These friends believed They were absolutely convinced that Jesus could get the job done. Now, were they looking for forgiveness of sins? No. They were looking for healing of a paralyzed man. So, which is a great thing. Way to go, guys. I mean, man, that's the kind of friend I'd love to have if I was paralyzed. But what's the first thing Jesus offers? What his core need was. He offered salvation. He offered forgiveness. Father, forgive them, he cried from the cross. They don't know what they're doing. Your sins are forgiven. And of course, if I can use the vernacular, all hell broke loose with the scribes and Pharisees. Blasphemy! Only God can forgive sins. That's the point. The Son of God, the Savior of the world, is in your midst. Woo! So let me share with you about faith. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I have a question for you. Can you believe God for somebody in your sphere of influence? He loves these people way more than we could ever. But a family member who's broken, a co-worker who's just lost, like sheep without a shepherd. Someone who's being harassed today with a culture that is just so confused. They're everywhere, right? Can we believe and start praying and start engaging and start caring, giving that cup of cold water and trusting God to do a work that only he can do? Now, finally, virtue number four. So friends do what? Yeah, Rick, the pastor's got it. You don't count, Rick. You can't. You, yeah, you get paid. You get paid to listen. Virtue number one, friends. Virtue number two. Virtue number three. Believe. Virtue number four. 
And I love this. And this is where the Bible should always begin and end. Friends, celebrate God. Or what I would call God's stories. Let me show this to you. Look at verses 25 and 26. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And this is just a remarkable statement. This is a summary statement, but think through the implications. Luke's deliberate. Then everyone was astonished. They were giving glory to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. When the kingdom comes, when a son who was once lost is now found, who was once dead is now alive, it's time to celebrate, folks. It's time to stand in awe of God. Ecclesiastes 3.14 is my hallmark verse. God works. Why? So we will stand in awe of him. I tell you, when you just do these basic things, the kingdom comes. Can I share a God story with you? And I share this humbly. I don't want to be self-serving, but it, it's something that happened in, in uh, Ellen in my life during COVID. COVID was hard in pastoral ministry, I'll be honest with you. It's one of the toughest seasons uh, of our 38 years in pastoring. Church was being polarized. We weren't gathering. Ministry just seemed to be limited. So we began a uh, outreach ministry because people were staying home and they were more connected to their neighborhood. So we did a series while going through Luke. And the question was, who's your one? So it was about a four-week mini-series while we're going through the whole gospel. So we asked that question, who's your one? We got magnets made and we asked people to put the magnets on their fridge and ask the question, who's your neighbor? And we had nine homes in our cul-de-sac. We knew some, but not all. And we just said, hey, let's get to know our neighbors, their kids, their names, their needs, and start praying. So you fill out the magnet. People were doing this, and we were doing this. We were applying it in our own lives. And then we just said, start praying. Ask God to open doors. So Ellen and I like to walk. We were out walking this morning. We like to prayer walk together. So we started during COVID. One of our survival things was just to walk early and see the sunrise. And we had some beautiful sunrises. Often we would pray together. But God gave us a divine appointment. Uh, we would be walking, and I remember the first time we met Jim. Just imagine this. We're walking. It's winter, and it's real winter in Iowa. And so it's kind of cold. And Jim, a senior man in his early 70s, is riding one of those like racer bikes with the tiny little tires. You remember those thin tires? These weren't the big knobbies today that, you know, the cool guys, you know, they'll ride to the bank and take a shower. You know, they got their snow bikes. This was like the old school thin bike. And so I'm like, seeing this guy, I'm like, man, dude, are you serious? I'm going to pray for you. He says, yeah, pray for me. He went and we went and that was it. I don't know, a couple months later, we bumped into Jim again. And fast forward a year and a half, 18 months of interaction Often when he's riding his bike with his light on, we're walking to engage the sunrise. We would have these God conversations. We'd share our testimony. We got to meet Jim's wife, Debbie, and uh, took him some Christmas gifts one year. Jim loves to garden, had a massive garden. He showed me his garden. I like peppers. He grew ghost peppers, Carolina Reapers, if you know anything about those, like deadly peppers, gloves, things like that, masks, all right? So that's kind of like the relationship that we built with Jim. And we were praying all the time. And folks, people aren't a project for us. 
we got to really become deep friends with Jim and Debbie. Um, but we wanted to see him come to faith in Christ. So one day I was walking alone, and Jim's coming, the light's on, and the sun wasn't even up, and we had one of our conversations. And uh, that morning, God opened Jim's heart. He repented of his sins, put his faith in Christ. Picture this, if you could, maybe 6, 6.30 a.m. in the morning, two senior men holding hands with tears in their eyes as Jim gave his life to Christ. We've done a lot of follow-up with Jim over the past months, texting each other, and his salvation is sure. His wife is so thankful. And it all happened. Of course, it's a God work, right? But we were praying. We were engaging. We were believing, trusting. We were doing simple things like gardening, Christmas gifts, having each other over the home. And over time, God's kingdom comes. I think that's the essence of this this passage that's exactly what my buddies did 44 years ago i think jim would probably look back today and say thank god for keeping out we thank god for him folks let's become that kind of friend people need the lord right remember harassed helpless sheep without a shepherd man let's give them a cup of cold water in the name of the lord